This is Chapter 94 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. This week, thriller writer Joseph Finder explores the consequences of one bad decision. Then we learn how to be a better drinker from beer journalist John Hall. We're all guilty of making bad choices, but for most of us, a wrong decision doesn't wreck our reputation, career, and family life in one fell swoop. That's not the case for the female judge at the center of Joseph Finder's new thriller, Judgment. He spoke about it with our Pat Farnack. I've been uh, decluttering my books at home because I have so many. Recondoing them, yes. Yes. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I I came across uh, Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Yeah. And I, I remember somebody asking me when that book was uh, first out, what's Bonfire of the Vanities about? And the answer was, yeah. you take one wrong turn off the highway and your life is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Your life is ruined. And that's, 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 right. that's sort of true about judgment, the consequence yeah. of one wrong move. Yes, very good point. Exactly. We have this judge who is ambitious and going places, uh, just sort of at a conference in Chicago, and she meets this guy, and she has one drink too many, and he seems really vulnerable and really nice, really great, and she sleeps with him, and then she's immediately entrapped. And that's all it takes is this one sort of, well, it's, I won't say an innocent move, but one move, one bad decision. Juliana as a judge, Juliana Brody is your main character, and it, it wasn't only to me about her life as a judge, but also as a woman. I was really interested yeah. in, in that bar scene where she's away from home, she's in Chicago, she's at this conference, and yep. um, she she lets down her guard for a minute as a, mm-hmm. as a woman, not as a judge. I thought that was a, right. a, a great scene. Exactly right. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted us to see her as a person. And this is one of the things about actually being a judge, which is interesting, is that you know, we respect them and, and they're very important, but they're also very vulnerable. They have to sort of be very careful in public. Yeah. They have to, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to get a speeding ticket. You don't want to get a parking ticket. You want, you, you know, you, you, you want to observe all the rules wherever possible. And that is a tough, that's a tough rule to live under. It sure is. She, as a judge, she's being blackmailed. But I like how you worked in the corrupt Russians into your story. Were you, <laughs> were you, Joseph, inspired by the Russian meddling investigation at all? Did you use that as a jumping-off point? I, you know, I could not help it. It just sort of, it was just, <laughs> it's everywhere, yeah. and it sort of, it, it sort of in, invaded my thoughts. You know. I was writing a conspiracy novel, basically. That's what judgment is. So I wanted to sort of come up with a plausible conspiracy. And I don't want to give too much away, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't take much imagination to realize that the Russians have successfully messed up our election process and have done all kinds of things. And the Russians are especially good at something they call compromat. Mm. Compromat which is the use of blackmail. And this is how Putin became head of, head of his country, is by a compromise. So in my book, you know, Juliana realized she's the victim of compromise as well. Yeah. And it just happens to be a real-life thing, a conspiracy that's out there, does exist. Is this something you made up uh, calling Vladimir Putin the pale moth, or is that, do they really call that's him the real. pale moth? Wow. 
Wow. That's one of his nicknames from when he was uh, a KGB officer. Makes my skin crawl somehow. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Silence of the Lambs or yes, something. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, uh, Duncan, the husband of Juliana, yeah. he's a good guy. I get that. Yep. But did you mean for him to be so annoying, especially since yep. he's no saint himself? Yeah. Well, you know, yes, I did. I wanted him to be no saint. I wanted him to be annoying. I wanted him to be sort of, but also, you know, loving and a good guy. Yeah. But no, I mean, I wanted to, we're seeing this world from Juliana's point of view. And her husband is basically, she she needs her husband to stand by him. And she realizes she's all alone in this. Yeah. So yeah, I, Duncan's annoying. <laughs> well, I'm glad that, you know, I wasn't just oh, uh, yeah. hating him for no reason. <laughs> and, you know, he's sort of a... He's very liberal. He's a he teaches he teaches law. He's got groupies. Yeah. They call him Funky Dunk. Oh, he's a certain type you see around here. Yeah. yeah. I also like the thread running through Judgment of reassessing your life. Sometimes it takes a, yeah. a major blow up to ask yourself if you're on the right track. Is my life going the right way? I ask that throughout the book when I read Judgment. Yeah, that's absolutely what I was trying to put a, get across was this notion of she, I mean, she's sort of reviewing her life. She's looking back at her childhood. She's looking back at her, back at her relationship with, his, with her mother. And is she just doing what her mother used to do? Is she different from her mom? This is the sort of thing that's going to go through your head when your life is turned upside down the way it has for Juliana. I mean, she's just in such trouble that she's sort of rethinking everything now. Anything else you would like to mention about Judgment? And, and I'm also curious about what you're working on now, or are you taking a breather? No, I never take a breather. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Judgment, you know, thank you so much. I'm really glad you like Judgment. I, I, I'm getting a really good response from readers. Um, and it was a book that I felt was actually very powerful in a lot of ways, um, and a book about characters. Um, the book I'm working on now, well, I'm not allowed to say the title yet, okay. but uh, it's, a, uh, it's another in my series of my character, Nick Heller. Ah. So it's, another in a, it's a series novel. Very nice. I thank you for not only writing the book, but for taking the time to talk about it with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So now that dry January is over, let's talk about beer. It's one of the oldest drinks humans have produced, dating back to at least the 5th millennium BC. That's a pretty long history for something made out of just four ingredients, water, yeast, barley, and hops. And few people have spent more time drinking and thinking about beer than journalist John Hull. He recently stopped by our studios to talk about his new book, Drink Beer, Think Beer. Yeah. So you've been writing about the beer industry for years. Yeah. When did you realize you want to do more, though, than just drink beer? Um, you know, it was a slow burn. I was a reporter for a lot of years, and I would go wherever the story was. And what I found was that uh, if I was traveling to different parts of the country, that if I found a brew pub or a brewery, uh, one, I was probably going to get a better meal uh, than eating at the Applebee's somewhere, or um, I was going to get a good beer as well. And I was also able to meet people who lived in the towns and the communities that I was covering, which was a lot better way of catching the pulse of what was happening as opposed to the hotel bar at the Holiday Inn Express. So, you know, for, for me, going to breweries was just sort of like, a, it was a fun thing to do. It was a way to, to relax a little bit, but also uh, see different parts of the country in a real way. 
And then all of a sudden I realized, well, hey, I'm a reporter. I should start writing about this. And, and so I did. And it's been a weird journey ever since. <laughs> so this book is a great getaway if you're just getting interested in beer or if you already can tell the difference between all the different yeast and hop varieties, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a lot of books that are out there that talk about how to brew beer or getting into the specific ingredients or what breweries do behind the scenes, that kind of thing, getting to know some of the breweries. But what I realized was, covering this industry, I'm really fortunate that I have a lot of really fun, interesting conversations with not only brewers, but fellow drinkers and the manufacturers and the farmers who grow the ingredients. And we're having these late night or into the late night conversations about the things that are happening outside of the glass of beer. And when we think about beer itself, we're thinking about just the liquid, but there's a whole universe that's happening and, and, and a whole industry, uh, industry is built around what's happening outside of the glass. And so I wanted to distill some of those conversations into this book and get people who are new to beer or who have been drinking craft beer or you know, different beer or just any old beer uh, for most of their lives to just take a minute to think about it in a different way. I bet you run into a lot of people who say, well, I don't really like beer. All the time. <laughs> what do you say to those people? You just haven't found the beer that you like <laughs> yet. I, and and, and it, it's interesting because there are some people who just will flat out refuse to even taste uh, what I put in front of them. Um, because, and, and, and that's fine, but if you're a wine drinker, there are beers that I think will appeal, appeal to you. If you're a cocktail drinker, there are beer, beers that will appeal to you. Uh, same thing with, um, uh, with just straight whiskey as well and spirits. And, and so if we think about beer in terms of food, right, um, there are so many different components that uh, show up in, in the everyday beer. So hops are polarizing for a lot of people because you say, oh, hops are in beer, and hops are bitter, and people say, oh, I don't, I don't want to drink anything bitter. And they get that in their minds, that it's bitter, they're not going to want to drink it. But when I start to talk about grapefruit or pine or strawberry or peaches or blueberry or you know any number of, of uh, pineapple and mango, uh, these flavors that we know in everyday life that also appear do, uh, via hops, you can start to change people's minds. You know, if, if you're a coffee drinker in the morning, you might actually like a porter or a stout or a beer that's brewed with coffee. Uh, you know, if, if you like, um, I mean, pretty much anything that you can imagine you can eat or drink these days, a brewer has made a beer with it. And so everything from fresh fruit going into beers to honey and flour and, you know, beautiful aromatics. There, there's a beer out there for everybody. Just be open to experimentation. I really took away from your book as being like the main mantra is like just try and taste everything. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, as, as somebody who covers this industry, and I've been fortunate to judge beer competitions and I've visited a lot of breweries around the world, there are beers that I get that I just don't prefer. You know, I, I'll give them a shot each time. You know, I, I say in the book, um, I, I'm not really a fan of Belgian-style triples or quads. Um, and, and that's sacrilege to say. In fact, I was so nervous to put that in the book. Uh, I'd only told one friend of mine, uh, 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 who, another reporter who covers the industry, a guy named Jeff Allworth. I told him this a couple of years ago when we were out somewhere. And I almost never let it lived it down afterwards. And so I was like, you know what? It's out there in the world. He's told people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own this. But you try it. I try it every time that I go out. And I think that that's the important thing because maybe I'll find one that I like, or maybe my palate will shift. And if we think about even again going back to food, as kids we don't like Brussels sprouts, but as adults for some reason, you know, we start to come around on them. Or you know, food we didn't like in our 20s, we may now like in our 30s or 40s, or you know, vice versa. And <laughs> Beer is very much that same way. And again, with so many breweries out there turning out so many different flavorful recipes, um, it's so much fun to just try it. And 
an ounce will do you. And if you don't like it, move on to something else. There's unlimited choice. I like, too, that, you know, you're kind of talking as we talk about how many different varieties are out there, like the politics of beer comes into two. And you do, you know, you do go into the book a little bit as as polarizing as it can be where people have these arguments, like drunken arguments into the night about what the best style is. Drunk, <laughs> We're going to make an assumption. Sure. I mean, there's alcohol involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, like have these arguments. But at the same time, you know, like there is this idea that it can bring people together. I think it can. Um, and right now, I mean, it, it's... Politically, we're fractured in this country. And I remember the run-up to the 2016 election, and I'd pull into a brewery parking lot, and you know, you'd see a car with a Clinton bumper sticker, you'd see one with a, with a Trump bumper sticker, there's still Bernie stickers around um, as, as well, and everybody was all inside. And there were conversations that were happening, and people were sort of getting along. These days, you still see those cars in the parking lot, um, and people are still coming for beer. And the conversations are much more heated in this element. Um, but what I like to, or in this era, but I like to remind people that you all pulled into the same parking lot for the same reason, and that's to, to drink a beer. And if you can find that common ground, you know, have a conversation and see where it can go. You're not going to solve the world's problems uh, sitting at the bar, you know, with people. But you may get a different perspective, and you may, and hopefully they will as well. You know, if it, 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 the conversation has to be a two-way street. And I see it happening at breweries um, a lot these days because it is that one common element that brings people together. Uh, families, young, old, uh, genders, religions, you know, creeds, whatever. It's people come for the beer. Um, start, at, start there and, and, and build up. And I think it's, it's one way of bringing back civil discourse. So I learned a lot of things from your book because I'm yeah, I'm not true, by the way. <laughs> I'm not like a beer drinker. At least I wasn't until I recently found that there is a class of beer that I I really like, and now I'm all for it. What is it? Sours. Okay. Great. Yeah. Which you write is kind of going to be like the next wave, maybe of things coming out. I, I don't say that because it, it's it's popular right now, but nobody knows what the next. If mm -hmm. I knew what the next thing is going to be. You know, I'd be phoning in from my yacht somewhere, um, <laughs> uh, having made the, the, the correct diagnosis on that. Um, yeah, sours are, they're, they're taken over. And that's a, that's a tough word to use, right? Mm -hmm. Because it can turn off a lot of people. Um, but if you think about uh, tart or lemon acidity um, or, you know, just a brightness or sprightness mm -hmm. that, that can come through. Sour, again, it's like hops where it's bitter. And it, right. But if you try it, uh, wine drinkers especially are flocking towards some of the sours because a lot of them have been aged in wood. Uh, a lot of them have been aged with fruits. A lot of them do have, uh, like I said, that bright tart acidity to them, uh, and it's 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 a fun it's a fun style. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying tasting my way through the different things there. Yeah. But one of the other things that struck me in your book is how to tell if a glass is dirty, which is something you're really really so passionate, passionate about. about. So passionate. About. So why don't you? Because I think that's something anybody who orders anything from a bar anywhere. And it happens more than you think. And I mean, and and here in in New York, there are you know, countless countless bars, and beers are served you know millions of pints a day. I, I think is pr pretty accurate. Um, and if you get a pint of beer in front of you and you see carbonation sticking to the inside of your glass, so the bubbles in your beer, if they are sticking to the walls, the internal walls of your glass, that means that there's been residue left behind. Uh, and it can be soap scum, it could be you know, food residue from a dishwasher that it went through, uh, it can be any number of things that we don't necessarily want to think about. Um, and 
in the same way that if you go to a restaurant and you've got a dirty fork, you'd send it back. It's a good thing to recognize this and to just call it to a bar's attention. Um, you know, but I, you might it might not always be well received as you found out. It might not always be well received, but I think the places that are taking beer seriously and beer service seriously uh, will notice. Um, and in fact, you know, a, a shout out to Barcade here in, uh, there's a couple in Brooklyn and some in Manhattan and a couple in Jersey. They're spreading around. It's a, a, a arcade game and craft <laughs> beer bar. And I was at the one up on 24th in Chelsea uh, a year or so ago, and they served a dirty pint. And I know the owners, I know the place, and I just casually mentioned to the bartender, I was like, hey, you know, if you can just give these an extra scrub next time around. And I didn't, I wasn't a jerk about it or anything. Uh, and I was at the Jersey City location a week or so later, and Carl, the regular bartender there, goes to me, he goes, so I got a memo about you. <laughs> what, what? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, uh, John Hall came into our Chelsea location and said we had dirty glassware, so now we're all washing our glasses again. And I was like, is anybody angry? He's like, no, this is what we're supposed to do. So the bars that take it seriously know it. And I think the more that people recognize that if you see carbonation sticking to the inside of your glass, that there's something left behind. And you, you probably see it at home, too, when you pour it. And so a uh, non-petroleum-based dish soap uh, works really well. Get yourself a, a bristle brush that you don't use for food, that you don't use for baby milk bottles or anything else like that, because the fats from that can stick to the inside. And just a quick little scrub goes a long way. You talk about your daughter a few times in the book, Yeah. whether it's the dedication or looking forward to bringing her to, like, uh, breweries, which are now more family-oriented. Some are, some are. Here, Twitter, you know, <laughs> gets into, into arguments about kids and breweries a lot. What's her first lesson in beer going to be? Responsibility. Responsibility. Um, know your limits. Uh, and, and I think that that's really important. There, um, beer is fun. Uh, the, the beer industry is fun to cover. Um, it can be tough to, um, you know, when you get caught up in things, to, to say no to, to that next round, uh, but keeping a level head about you. I mean, people you hear about my job, like, wow, you must be drunk all the time. It's like, well, if I was, like, I couldn't get my work done. Like, that's the thing. Like, you know, working with a hangover really sucks. Um, you know, and it's late nights and early mornings, and so you have to keep your head about, him, uh, ahead about you. So I think responsibility uh, is, is really, you know, number one uh, when it comes down to it, is it's okay to say no. It's okay to know your limits. Um, you know, the, the party is always going to continue whether or not uh, you're there. Um, and, you know, don't, don't worry too much about that. And um, you know, keep your wits about you when you're out. It's, the world can be a dangerous and scary place. And now as the father of a two-year-old, I, I, I don't have to worry about her uh, drinking for, for hopefully quite some time. But uh, um, I never want her to get into a situation where she'd be in a, in a bad spot. And so that's the, you know... Um, that's the number one rule, and it's the and it's removing the taboo of alcohol as well. You know, we hear about twenty one. Uh, you know, people turn twenty one, and because we're told we can't drink until we're twenty one, um, you know, you hear about alcohol poisoning, and you hear about um, you know, kids binge drinking and going overboard. I think showing moderation at home, uh, you know, be it a glass of beer or wine, whatever at night, um, that it's okay. You know, um, you know, but the you know, I remember uh, growing up and getting a taste of wine off of my grandmother's finger, like that kind of, you mm -hmm. know, it's remove some of the mystique about it. Like it's a part of adult life. Uh, it doesn't have to be something that uh, when you turn 21, you, you backload um, uh, those last 21 years of, of alcohol consumption. It should just be like, okay, now I can do this legally and right. it's not a big deal. It's kind of just giving that lesson that, hey, this is around, you can drink it responsibly, 
and there's no like mystique to it except that you might have a really bad hangover if you drink too much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and hangovers are, you know, a, a part of drinking. I try to avoid them as much as possible these days. But uh, uh, you know, and it's, it's a product of getting older. But you know, in, in, in your youth, you can bounce back a little bit faster. But uh, you know, we're also not as smart back then. So. Do you have a hangover tip? You'd be the guy to ask, so. You know, I, it used to just be a, a, a Taylor ham, egg, and cheese on a, you know, on a toasted roll. And, Not a pork uh, roll? Well, I'm North Jersey, so I call it Taylor ham. But, uh, um, yeah, it's a couple of cups of coffee and Advil and water, and now it's just, you know, Advil, water, and time. And uh, Pedialyte is actually... Uh, pretty good these days. So. Yeah, they even come out something now for for adults. I know, I know. It's uh, at the Great American Beer Festival every year in Denver. Um, uh, it's like seventy thousand beer lovers come, and the the convenience stores around the convention center stock up now uh, on Pedialyte, on Gatorade, and it's sold out. The festival goes in Thursday, Friday, Saturday. By Wednesday afternoon, like all of the stores, it's just barren shelves. It's like you know the day before Blizzard. <laughs> Uh, you can't find any Gatorade or Advil. Uh, so instead of the milk, the bread, the eggs, it's yeah. the Advil and the Gatorade exactly. that disappear. And Advil uh, <laughs> it doesn't affect your, your kidneys. So that's uh, when you're drinking and you have a lot of you know, liquid flowing through you. It's, it's the, best, the safer choice. The safer choice yeah. So what's the one thing you want people to take away from your book? Have a conversation about beer. Um, there's a lot of beer nerds that are out there these days. And if you're visiting a brewery, uh, you're going to see them uh, on their phones checking into beers. There's an app called Untapped, which is a social media network for uh, beer drinkers where uh, you can check into a beer thing. So I'm, I'm drinking Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and I'm going to tell all of my online friends about it. And then people toast them back and say, good for you for drinking Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And they're not picking their heads up uh, and looking around the room. Um, they're not seeing the life that's happening around them. There's so much more... Um, to visiting breweries and drinking beer than just the beer itself. And so uh, you know, use beer as an opportunity to go see a new part of the country and, and brewery travel and uh, see how different people represent different styles uh, or see how they decorate their tap room or see the clientele that shows up and talk to people. Um, you know, we don't talk to people when we're out anymore. And so beer can be that leveler that we were talking about earlier. Use that opportunity to go and turn to the person next to you and say, you know, hey, I haven't been in this area of town before. Uh, is there a good coffee shop, or where's the best pizza, or and go from there. Um, and beer brings us together that way. And it just doesn't have to be uh, downing a six pack every night, or it doesn't have to be um, you know uh, an escape mechanism. It doesn't have to be. It can actually be a lot of fun if you let it. So the book is Drink Beer, Think Beer. John Hall, thank you for coming by and telling us how to be a better drinker. Thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun. Okay, who's thirsty? Hands up. Go grab a cold one and I'll meet you back here next week when we celebrate Valentine's Day the only way we know how, with a good love story. If you aren't already, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. And if you have something to say, email me, Lisa T, at lisa t at wcbs880.com.